Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. If you did not bring a Bible with you, please look around you under the seats. You'll find them scattered throughout the auditorium. They're there for your use. And turn with us to the book of Luke, uh, the portion we're going to consider today in the fourth chapter. Uh, Years ago, when I, I first began preaching, I would occasionally receive some advice, counsel, some wanted, some unwanted. Uh, It was usually the unwanted that was more helpful than the wanted, but that's another story. And a piece of advice I, I received decades ago from an old seasoned preacher uh, was this. Pick your text, turn to it, and stay there. Just pick your text, turn to it, and stay there. Don't go flipping through the Bible and encouraging people to turn to 10, 20, 30 texts. It is distracting, ultimately unhelpful, and hurts the flow of a good sermon. I have stuck to that advice over the years. Today, I'm going to break it. We are going to turn, I don't know, maybe 16 passages of Scripture. I don't know how many. I didn't count, but a lot. But breathe a sigh of relief, all in the book of Luke. All right? There is a motive to my madness. Uh, It is simply this. Uh, The main point is the big picture this morning. And I want to make sure we get the big picture of all that Luke is conveying to us in his gospel account. Where we're going to begin, however, is our text where we've been for a couple of Sundays now and where we will be for a few more Sundays, I promise you. Luke chapter 4, reading in verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. As I mentioned last Sunday, Luke is very, very intentional in these verses. He is drawing our attention to verses 18 and 19. How does he do that? He does it by setting the context. And so look at what we read back in the middle of verse 16. Jesus went where? To the synagogue. Synagogue. He mentions that word. Then what does Jesus do? He stands up right at the end of verse 16 to read. So far, so good. Into the 17th verse, what happens The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And then finally, what does the Lord Jesus do? He unrolls the scroll. So you got it? He's in the synagogue. He stands up. A scroll is handed to him. He unrolls the scroll. He reads it. And now in verse 20, what does he then do? 
he rolled up. So what he had previously unrolled, he now rolls up. He gave it what he had previously received from the attendant. He gives back to the attendant. And he sat down. He had formerly stood up. And then what's the next phrase in verse 20? The eyes of all, there's the key word, in the synagogue were fixed on him. And so the context, the way Luke describes it, it draws us to verses 18 and 19 and then leads us away from verses 18 and 19. And Luke seems to be saying to us the following, get this and get it good, verses 18 and 19. These are central. This moment, the reading of the Lord Jesus is pivotal. It is pivotal Firstly, as we look back, because what the Lord Jesus is doing when he reads these verses is he is basically saying, I am the capstone of Isaiah's prophetic revelation. There are those servant songs. Some of you studied them diligently this past Wednesday night. There are those servant songs that speak of me and point to me back in Isaiah culminating in chapter 61, and I am now quoting from Isaiah 61, and I am declaring verse 21 of our text, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, all that Isaiah had envisioned, I am it. I am the true servant. I am the true Israel. I am the true son. I am the anointed one, meaning I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the promised one. I am the long expected one. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Luke wants to emphasize that point that the Lord Jesus is the culmination of all that is prophesied in the Old Testament. But I think Luke is doing something else in these verses. In drawing our attention to them, he is essentially saying, look, this is my main point. This is the point, <laughs> this is the point I'm trying to make. In my book, I have a thesis statement. There is a point to it. Here it is. And basically, in the remainder of his gospel account, he expounds these two verses. 18 and 19, lifted out of Isaiah 61, applied to the Lord Jesus in the remainder of the book of Luke, he demonstrates exactly how the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Now, when you look at verses 18 and 19, what is the main theme? That may not be the best way to word the question. What grabs your attention? Or as you read it, what, what seems to strike you as the most important element? If you're in doubt, let me put it to you. It is the fact that the Lord Jesus came to preach. Look at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Actually, one word in the original, it is to evangelize. He has anointed me to evangelize. And then what does he proceed to say? Same verse, he has sent me to proclaim. It's a different word in the original, to announce to preach, to declare liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Verse 19, there's the word again, to 
proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so I suggest to you that preaching is the main point of these two verses. Luke wants to emphasize this fact that Jesus is a preacher, that Jesus has come to preach. Three quick questions. The first is this. Uh, why does Jesus come to preach? Or why is Jesus a preacher? Still in Luke 4, look at verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So here's an interesting question. Why did the Lord Jesus come? I know what my number one answer is, to save me. Right? I'm pretty sure for most of us here, that's your number one answer. He came to save me. He came because I'm a sinner. He came to offer himself to God upon Calvary's cross, thereby paying the penalty for my sin, thereby rescuing me, redeeming me, delivering me, saving me. Amen. I do not dispute it for one moment. Why did the Lord Jesus come? Well, he came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, death and all the consequences of sin entered into this world at the moment of the fall. And man has struggled under those consequences ever since. And the devil is so oppressive. Well, the Lord Jesus came to defeat the devil at Calvary's cross and to rescue us ultimately from the consequences of the fall. Amen. Why did Jesus come? He came to preach. Do I get an amen? Amen. He came to preach. He was a preacher for three and a half years. A preacher. And he was sent to preach. He was sent to proclaim. He says, I must, I'm driven. I must preach the good news of the kingdom. That's why he preached. Second simple question is this. How did he preach? Go back with me into the third chapter. We've been here before, but it's worth looking at again. Chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. At that moment, the Spirit of God descended upon the Lord Jesus. What do we read in chapter 4, verse 1? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. What do we read in verse 14, same chapter? Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And what do we now read in our text? Chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It happened at my baptism. He's filling me. He has anointed me to do what? To preach. To preach. He is a preacher. And he went forth in the power of the Spirit. Just think of it, folks. The living Word of God. Preaching, expounding the written Word of God. 
under the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how he preached. Third quick question is this. Well, what, what exactly did he preach? It's summed up for us in our text, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim that God is gracious. God is merciful. Do you want even greater detail? Go back into verse 18. He gives us three analogies. He has come to proclaim one, what? Good news to the poor. He has come second to do what? To proclaim liberty to the captives. And he has come thirdly to preach what? Recovering of sight to the blind. Today we're narrowing our focus and we are examining that first analogy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He has anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor. And I want us to notice three things. Here is the first. I want you to take very, very, one more time, very careful note of his audience. To proclaim good news to absolutely everyone. Proclaim good news to the poor. Question, who are the poor? They are not the materially poor. Do not misunderstand me. The Lord Jesus is very concerned about the materially poor. Later, in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus is going to declare, sell your possessions and give to the needy, the poor. In chapter 14, he's going to declare, when you give a feast, invite the poor. Even more to the point, in chapter 16, he is going to condemn the rich man who feasts sumptuously while ignoring the cries of that beggar, Lazarus, at his door. The Lord Jesus is very concerned over the plight of the poor, materially poor. But that is not his audience. He is referring here to the spiritually poor. You're still with me in the book of Luke, right? Flip over to chapter 6. And look at what we have in chapter 6. I think we can begin to frame a definition of the poor as we come to verse 20, again of the 6th chapter. Again, Jesus, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, and as I read this, if you're well acquainted with the Bible, think, think carefully of a parallel text. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, did that sound familiar? There's a parallel text. Where is it? The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And Matthew is a little more descriptive, isn't he? How does the Lord Jesus begin in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Who are the poor? They are the spiritually poor. Now, do you want an example of this? You're in chapter 6, right? Go back with me into the fifth chapter. Here's just a little example of this, and then we'll get to a great example of this. Luke 5, verse 8, the disciples have been out all night fishing. The Lord Jesus shows up. He commands Peter to go out, fish again. Peter is not thrilled. What's the point? What a waste of time. We've toiled all night. We caught nothing, but you've commanded us to. Out we'll go, and we'll let down our nets, and they catch a multitude of fish. And what do we read in the eighth verse? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's the poor in spirit. I realize, I realize, I see it as clear as the noonday sun. I see it. I am a sinful man in your sight. Depart from me, O Lord. Another example, turn to Luke 15. And just as you're journeying there, let me illustrate this poverty of Scripture from throughout throughout. God's word. We see it in Abraham. He declared, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. We see it in Jacob. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. We hear it from the lips of John the Baptist. Among you stands one you do not know, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. We see it in the writings of Paul. I know that nothing good dwells in me. I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle. I am the very least of all the saints. I am the foremost of sinners. And we have a moving example of poverty of spirit in Luke 15. You know the parable. What is it? It's the parable of the prodigal, the prodigal son. And off he goes, wastes everything his father has given him, ends up in the pigsty, eating with the swine, wallowing in the mire. He finally comes to his senses. Look at verse 21. He returns and the son says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's 
poverty of spirit. That is Jesus' audience. He proclaims good news to the poor. That man, that woman, that boy, that girl, who is acutely, profoundly aware of God's greatness and their smallness, deeply aware and moved by God's holiness and their sinfulness, whereby the only thing they can get out of their mouth, the only thing that emits from their lips is this, I am unworthy. You've got a definition. You've got an example. Let me now impress upon you the importance of this. Okay? Because here is the difference between life and death. This is it right now. Let me impress upon you the importance of this. Luke does it for us. Beginning in chapter 7. It's a a lengthy story, but it is a beautiful story. And I pray the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God as I read it for you publicly. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him, At his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Be careful. Steady on. Please get it. Back in verse 47, where the Lord Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The Lord Jesus is not weighing the Pharisee and the woman in the scales and saying, look, that woman is really bad, and that's why she understands who I am. That's why she is characterized by such poverty of spirit, and I will forgive her, whereas you're really good. 
and you don't have much to be forgiven, and therefore your love for me is so little. That's not his point. His point is this. Look, Pharisee, woman, you're exactly the same. You're sinners. Here's the difference. This woman gets it. You don't. Therefore, he who is forgiven much is forgiven, and she loves much. You forgiven little, you don't think there's anything to forgive. And that's why you've treated me basically with such contempt ever since I entered here. Oh, it is the difference between life and death. Are you poor? Do you understand who you are? I'm not asking who you are. I already know who you are. And you already know who I am. And God Almighty most certainly knows us all. That's not the issue. We stand condemned in the sight of Almighty God. Do we realize it? Oh, when we realize it, the result is poverty of spirit. Oh, another example. All the way to the 18th chapter. A shorter one, but equally powerful one. Luke 18, look at the ninth verse. He, that is Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm not like the person sitting down the row from me. I'm not like the person in the back of the church. I'm not like that person I know and I know what they've been up to. I'm not like them. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My friend, it is the difference between life and death. Are you poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit? Do we see ourselves for what and who we truly are in the sight of God? That's his audience. He's preaching to the poor. What of his message? What do we read there back in Luke 4? It's been a while since we've been there. Turn back. What do we know of his message? Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. Well, we now know who the poor are. We now understand who his audience is. It is the soul. He is speaking to the individual, to the soul, humbled and bruised by the sense of his sin, her sin. Well, what good news, what possible news could be good for them? Came to make you wealthy and rich. That's not good news given their predicament. I'm come to make you healthy and make sure you live to a ripe old age. That doesn't meet their predicament. I've come to solve your marital problems, your child-rearing problems. Although the Lord Jesus does give an awful lot of counsel in that area, that doesn't meet this individual's need. 
I've come to, to resolve all your economic issues, social issues. No, this individual is poor. This individual is marked by poverty of spirit. This individual understands I am not worthy. I am a sinner in your sight. What news does he want to hear? You know, it's like taking someone who's broken their ankle and removing their cataracts. How would that help them? Because they didn't even have cataracts. They've got a broken ankle. Or someone who does reversely, conversely have cataracts, you put a cast on the ankle. It does not help. There is only one thing that is going to help the poor. It is news that is commensurate with their need. It is news that will alleviate their guilt, their shame. It is news that will remedy their poverty of spirit. This alone will be good news. We've heard it. We've heard it already. Do you still have chapter 7 open? Go back there. Four of the most precious words in the Bible. Four of the most precious words in the Bible. Verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. That is the good news. How can the Lord Jesus utter these words? Go all the way now to chapter 22. Oh, we're nearing the cross in Luke's account. And look at what the Lord Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 37. Luke 22, 37. I tell you, I tell you, that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. Wait for it. Where does he quote from? Isaiah, Isaiah 53. I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. That he was numbered with the transgressors that he was bruised and crushed and punished for our iniquities, that he suffered the due judgment and penalty for our sin. And on that basis, he is able, he is willing to declare to us who are poor in spirit four most precious words in the Bible. Your sins are Forgiven. Anybody need to hear that? I need to hear that just about every day. Sometimes multiple times. I won't pretend otherwise. Your sins are forgiven. Rough night last night. Anybody? Sleepless night? Dare I ask why? Something troubling you? Not sitting well? Unconfessed sin? You know it. Troubling night? A troubling month maybe for some of us. Sin, things you've been doing, things you've been up to. Nobody knows. God knows. That's a bit of a problem. God knows. Physical ailments. I'm not suggesting it's true of anyone here. I'm not suggesting that. I read recently, though, recent estimates. I think it's over a third of all people in a, occupying a hospital bed today. Their problem is actually a result of what? Stress. And much of that stress related to what? Feelings of guilt. Shame condemnation. Anybody here? You shall have no other gods before me. Anybody here had got another god other than God? I know the answer to that one. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Yeah, you haven't, we haven't crafted anything out of gold or 
diamonds or silver or wood, but, uh, oh, the things we prostrate ourselves before. Not to take the God's name in vain. How flippant and casual we are at times when it comes to the creator of the universe. We're to remember to keep his day holy. Worship, ah, it's an accessory. God's an accessory. Feel like it on a Sunday morning, I'll go worship. If I don't, I'll do something else. To honor our parents. Anybody here ever disobey their parents? You young ones, come on now. Don't raise your hands. I already know the answer. You know the answer. You you older ones, you know the answer too, thinking back. Disrespect, disregard for parents. Shall not murder. Any murderers here? Well, maybe not literally. But in looks, if looks could kill, be a bloodbath. Absolute bloodbath. Mayhem. If words could kill, my friend, they actually do. Oh, again. The disarray. Should not commit adultery. Well, God preserve me from that one. All right. Lust. Anybody here struggle with that? Anybody here struggling with adu- adultery? Anybody here guilty of sexual immorality? You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. I, I don't say this flippantly or casually. You remember in, the, in Houston, we've got a problem. Remember that. Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a problem, friend. It is a huge problem. We are guilty in the sight of God. And the only reasonable response is poverty of spirit. And the only thing that will relieve the condemnation, the shame, the guilt, the anxiety, the only thing that will alleviate and take All of this from me are those four precious words. Your sins are forgiven. And they are forgiven, why? Not because of anything you have ever done, but because you are looking away from yourself. You are looking to my son, Jesus Christ. You are now knit together with him through faith. And I am going to now deal with you as I deal with him. I now view you as I now view him. My thoughts of you are now my thoughts, what my thoughts have always been of him. It's summed up beautifully in one of the hymns we sing here quite often. Here it is. You go back, write this one out later and meditate upon it. My sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That is his message. What is his manner? Back to chapter 4. We've got his audience down pat. We're now very clear, crystal clear on his message, his manner. It doesn't come out in verse 18. It's going to come out just a few verses later. But let me prep you for it. And remember, this is the capstone of prophetic revelation. The Lord Jesus has stretched an arm back over time and he has taken the book of Isaiah and he has brought it into the present and say and declared, I fulfill this book. I am Israel. I am the servant. I am the son of God. I am the expected one. This is his message. And when we look back at those servant songs, we get glimpses of his manner. Isaiah 53, 5. 
There was no deceit in his mouth. It means his preaching is full of truth. Isaiah 49, 2. He made my mouth, the servant is speaking, like a sharp sword. His preaching is full of power. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. His preaching is full of compassion. Any bruised reeds here this morning? Any faintly burning wicks? You come to the Lord Jesus. He will not break you. He will not quench you. He will forgive you. Look at what we read back in our text, verse 22. We're back in Luke 4 where we began, verse 22. Look carefully. And all spoke well of him and marveled. Here's his manner at the gracious words. Gracious words that were coming from his mouth. His claims are gracious. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Go home this afternoon, pour through the gospels, write them all out. His claims are gracious. Promises are gracious. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, gracious promises. And his invitations are gracious. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Oh, a very gentle invitation. Because a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. But the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that approaches God through the Lord Jesus Christ in poverty of spirit will hear, let me say it again, in case you missed it the first half dozen times, what have to be the most precious words in the Bible. Your sins are forgiven. Our Heavenly Father, May we take your word to heart this day by the aid of your Holy Spirit. And by your Spirit, may you apply it in accordance with the need of each one gathered here. May this be for the furtherance of your kingdom within us and among us. And may it be for the eternal glory of your name. Especially the unbelievers in our midst, Father. We do intercede on their behalf. We pray that you would be merciful and that you would indeed impress upon them that this, this is the favorable time.
that this, this indeed is the day of salvation. We ask it in Christ's matchless name. Amen.